right, uh, we are back in our third segment of the program. We like to talk about obituaries, and uh, we're gonna do. We're gonna have to defer those, I think, to next week's program. We cannot resist talking about the passing of the legendary daredevil, Evil Knievel. But to do it justice, it must be deferred. So you'll have to tune in next week. And we are going to try and actually get for next week's program the man who built the quote sky cycle unquote with which Evil Knievel was allegedly going to try and jump over the Snake River Canyon in Idaho. I don't know if we can get him, but we're going to try. All right, we mentioned at the top of the program that this show is uh, is going to get by with a little help from our friends, and one of our friends we're going to go to now is Bruce Bronstein. Bruce has been instrumental in some of our efforts down in Southern California in the past, our visit in particular with Ray Bradbury, and as of last weekend, he's now in Los Angeles Times commentator because his uh, opinion piece treat me like a Delta smelt, <laughs> appeared in Sunday's paper. So, <laughs> welcome to Radio Parallax again, Bruce. My parallax is a little off. I, my, my vision is a little blurry here. What's going on, Doug? Well, I got, I got quite a laugh out of your, your piece in, uh, in the L.A. Times. Not that I agree with any of it, but uh, it was certainly provocative. That was the idea. <laughs> now you're suggesting that uh, if we're going to protect the Delta smelt, which you describe as a thin, almost translucent fish threatened with extinction, that uh, maybe we, uh, Southern Californians ought to be considered endangered species as well. I guess I identified with the Delta smelt. I felt endangered myself and somewhat translucent. You know, uh, of course, there's, it's no secret there's been quite a war going on in California between North, which has the water, and South, which, and the South, which wants it, uh, going back for decades. Well, I used, I used to date the head of the uh, Department of Water and Power in Los Angeles. That was my... His daughter. Seriously. His daughter, the head of Water and Power, used to be my girlfriend back in high school. I see. This may, this may have slanted your opinion, I would suggest. It's true. Well, you know, I do want to note something in particular in this essay you wrote, uh, Bruce. You did mention what was going on in Atlanta, where they were, uh, the Army Corps of Engineers was putting 5,000 cubic feet of water per second on the Chattahoochee River to protect a muscle. First of all, because this is the first mention of the Chattahoochee River I've seen since ninth grade geography class, my teacher, Mr. Cavill, put it on his list of rivers on the southeast because he liked the name Chattahoochee. I love the name. <laughs> well, apparently, they dammed the Chattahoochee River in the 50s, uh -huh. which created a lake called Lake Lanier, uh -huh. which is where the water uh, for Atlanta comes from. Yeah. But the water doesn't stop there. It has to keep going, and it goes down uh, all the way to Florida. And they need the water uh, for certain coal-fired power power plants and other things like that. But they use the Endangered Species Act as an excuse to keep sending the water down there. But it's really for these, you know, industrial uses and for other things like that. That's the main reason they're doing it. Well, you're, you're bringing further memories of Mr. Cavill's class back as I talked to, when I was in ninth grade about the fact that the Everglades was uh, was drying up because of all the diversions to Miami. So it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a problem all across the United States. All across the world, they're putting a big squeeze on water. Well, here in, in California, Matt uh, Weiser had an article in the in the, in the the Bee a few, uh, few days back about uh, What's going on sort of under the radar, the governor has put together this task force, which is going to report to him in 2008, about measures to divert the water and supposedly supposedly save that great estuary that is the Delta. Now, how they're going to divert the water and save the uh, estuary at the same time is something they haven't explained yeah, very well. The idea is we're going to put a big straw 
in the estuary and suck all the water down to L.A., which wow. sounds like a great idea to me since I live in L.A. You know, I, I, well, I, I, I did think that pretty much was the plan based on I what I've read so far. Yeah. Of course, if I lived in where you live, I would be totally opposed to it. Yeah. But living down here, I think it's a great idea. Okay. Well, that, I appreciate your honesty. I Looking at, at Matt's article uh, in, in the B, I noticed that uh, one of the task force members, Monica Florian, former executive at the Irvine Company, a major land developer in Southern California. I wouldn't suppose she'd have any bias towards shipping water south now, would she? No, she'd be objective. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. Very objective. So, Bruce, did you get some feedback from friends after your articles in the in the, the LA Times? Everyone liked the fact that my name was spelled correctly. <laughs> That's important. It's not a very politically correct article, but I thought it was interesting, and I thought I got my point of view across, got my point across very well, that, you know, people should be considered an endangered species, and we should get the rights equal with other animals, you know, like, you know, soccer moms or illegal aliens. These are all endangered species, and we all... I'll have to, you know, look out for them. All right. I noticed at the end of the article it mentioned your forthcoming book, The Rise of Hollywood and the Pacific Coast. Uh, when you get done with that book, you need to come talk about it. Well, I'm, I'm done with them. They're, they're actually, it, it sounds a little better than, than they really are. They're actually little textbooks for the fourth graders. But it sounds good, published by McGraw-Hill. All right. For the California textbooks. Well... We can verify that when Radio Parallax does travel down to Hollywood, we've on numerous occasions uh, been the beneficiaries of your um, hospitality. So we hope that'll continue, Bruce. All right. So all, all my Radio Parallax friends, if you could send Doug a dollar, everyone who's listening, send him a dollar and let him know you appreciate his work. That would be good. Well, you know, I think that's, uh, yeah, that sounds good to me. Yeah. And we'll just see how many dollars roll in based exactly. on your your moocher friends down there in Hollywood exactly. who I know just, we're talking about. we'll know if you're actually listening. Yeah. Just sign your name on the back of the dollar and send it off to Doug. <laughs> That's what the Car Talk guys always say. Send us a letter on the back of a $20 bill. Send it to Car Talk. Yeah. I don't know if it works. I wonder for, if anybody's done it. I don't know. We need to ch- when we ever get If we ever get Tom and Ray on this show, we do have aspirations to do so one day, well, we'll ask them that. All right. Well, Bruce, always a pleasure. Uh, come again. Thanks a lot. All right, and joining us now at this juncture is another old pal. In fact, our uh, our environmental correspondent, Jennifer Davidson. Uh, welcome back, Jen. Hi, Doug. Thanks. It's good to be here, as always. And I know, I know that we just want to we just want to mention in a quickie here that uh, your article will be in next week's Sacramento News and Review, and you'll be talking to us about it on next week's program. That's right. I will. And the topic is. The degradation of salmon habitat in the local Sacramento area due to the construction of the Nimbus and the Folsom Dam back in 1955. Sounds like a very worthy topic, and we're looking forward to that. I remember that that Grand Coulee Dam supposedly messed up the the world's largest salmon fishery up in the Pacific Northwest, but the payoff, of course, was that there was so much cheap electricity up there, they could smelt aluminum, and that's how we got Boeing and aircraft, and that's how we won World War II. Well, they definitely have their uh, benefits for human growth and population and infrastructure, but as you said, it's wildlife that loses out in the end. All right, Jen. Well, we look forward to talking about that and reading about that next week, so we'll just have to, we'll have to close it off and keep our listeners, uh, you know, hankering for more. And there's something that they're going to want to hear about um, that isn't in the article, so make sure that they tune in. We'll do our best. Make, uh, tell us this right now. Make sure you guys tune in. Okay, great. All right, Jen, it's always a pleasure, and we'll talk to you We'll talk to you next week. Okay, Doug, sounds good. I can't wait. Thanks. All right. Bye. 
All right, that was Jennifer Davidson, uh, writer for the Sacramento News and Review and Radio Parallax's own environmental correspondent. All right, we are running a bit short of time on today's program, but in further demonstration of the fact this is a community-based radio program, we're now going to bring in as a guest someone um, whose appearance today comes after a conversation in our local deli. We got talking with uh, our good pal Vince Rincon about his trips to go see Van Halen twice in the same week, and we thought that was definitely worthy of talking about on today's show. So we say welcome to Radio Parallax, Vince. Thanks for having me today. Obviously, you're a big fan. Oh, yeah. Big fan for for a long time. Now, I know they were here at ARCO last Tuesday. Yeah. But in an unprecedented step, you saw them not only Tuesday, you traveled three hours down to Fresno to see them again on Thursday. Yeah, that is correct. So let me ask you, did you get your fill of Van Halen for a while? Yeah, I think for a while. <laughs> long while. <laughs> All right. Now, on this program, we have... Uh, we haven't necessarily followed Van Halen, but the antics of the lead singer, David Lee Roth, have cracked us up for some time. Uh, we talked a few years back about his uh, knocking himself out with a samurai sword. And I guess you're, you, what you saw on stage was sort of uh, dovetails with some of that. Oh, yeah. What so, happened? Uh, just came out with a almost like a uh, marching band baton almost. It was kind of like a metal pole baton, waving it around, and you just see... Eddie and his son just go back <laughs> almost as clear to the drums on both sides. So they took one look and decided they needed to clear the deck. Yeah, <laughs> that's how close it was. How about the spectators? Same thing. They almost <laughs> took a whole big row, stepped back to the second row of the seats. <laughs> was there any like uh, crowd noise as they were, you know, as this was going on? Huge gasp almost I could hear <laughs> from, the, from the second row, from the front row, trying to leap back. Uh, do you remember which song this was? Jump. <laughs> okay, so Jump starts, he comes out with a baton, starts twirling around, and everybody's like, uh, it's like diving for cover. Yeah. All right. Well, now, now Mr. McMillan was checking out some of their uh, their stuff on YouTube of late, and I guess there's been some criticism they're not the band of old. Uh, did, you, did you find they were up to snuff? Uh, in between, a little bit, a little bit uh, revised, some kind of out there, some okay, some kind of vintage. A little bit of both. Well, were they pretty tight? The show here was actually much better than the one in Fresno, mostly because in, of in what, uh, David Lee Roth. In what way? Uh, just messing up a lot of vocals. Hmm. Well, did you get a sense that David Lee Roth knew he was maybe screwing up? or? Yeah, he knew that he was, he was screwing up, even admitted it. Um, he even said, uh, admittingly to the crowd, that even all of his mistakes... Throughout his life, he admitted which, which, that, uh, which he's made a few. Yeah, that he superbly have done them all well. So he's saying, even my mistakes, I've done them well. Yeah. Well, you, you got to admire that attitude. And and how and the Van Halens were good. They were they were good. Uh, just one one note on on uh, Eddie's son. Uh, needs to loosen up a little bit. Wolfgang. Kind of, yeah, mm-hmm. moving uh, a little too stiff up and down the the bass neck and. He's not really, really getting there, but on a note, he's only 16. So we'll see. Yeah. Wow. All right. Well, if they come back again, I hope that I can take him in. Maybe we can can go check him out. All right. Sounds good to me. All right. Well, Vince Rincon, we appreciate the Van Halen update, and I hope we can maybe get, we we can keep up on their antics. All right. Well, thanks again for having me. All right. 
Well, you know, it's, it's not clear that we needed one, but it's nice to know Radio Parallax does now have a Van Halen correspondent. We are out of time. Our thanks go to Gordon, Uncle John, Javna, who we hope will return to this program in the future. Also, our good pals Bruce Bronstein, Jen Davidson, Will Durst, and newcomer Vince Rinkin. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. I'm Douglas Everett. We'll see you next week at the same time. <laughs>